Good morning, everybody. So this morning, we're reading again from 1 Peter. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 22, and read through chapter 2, verse 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thank you, Brian. Well, where were you guys last week, huh? (laughs) The Texan made it. But I guess I had to, right? I had to make it. I know I don't live in the mountains. Well, hey, it's good to see you guys. I'm just cleaning up this morning. Um, hey, a couple of encouragements. I really do want to encourage you to uh, go over, and if you're kind of a regular attender, if you're a member of Bergen Park, uh, get that picture taken. Because as Brian said, there are many people that pray through uh, the directory. I'm one of those that likes to pray every week, kind of through one page. And if I don't get to see your face... Uh, then I may not know who I'm praying for. But also, it helps each one of us. If you're new here, you may be wondering, you know, uh, there's somebody that you've greeted like eight times. You've called him George. (laughs) And his name's not George. It's good to know what his or her name is. And so if you're willing to do that, uh, please jump over there. You can fill out the information. We can get your name, address, all that kind of good stuff. Get it in that directory. Also, it goes into a database called CCB, Church Community Builder. It's an online database, kind of like an online directory that allows us uh, to connect with each other, to have the emails, addresses, all that kind of stuff, so we know who everyone is and we can start building those relationships uh, together. So please take that opportunity. Also today, when you, you head out, if you've given over the last year to Bergen Park and given in a way that we know your name, uh, there's some giving tax documents. Uh, what are they called? Giving statements, right? That's what they're called. Giving statements are out there, so grab those. If you don't grab them, hey, it's okay. We'll mail them to you, but to say that 40, what is it, 47 cents today? 50? Where are we at now? 50. There you go. Grab that and uh, before you head out. Hey, we're going through the book of 1 Peter, and so if you want to grab a Bible, you can because it's down near your feet. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have, we've uh, purchased about 120 Bibles. If you don't bring one and you can't turn yours on, uh, there are Bibles under there for you. If you do not own a Bible, listen, that's a gift from us to you. We want you to take it. Because as we gather on Sunday mornings, we want to get into Scripture. You know, to hear from God, we need to get into the Word of God. And it's God's Word that is uh, sharp, it's active, it's not dead. It's not something that's just archaic. you got to kind of brush off the dust. Rather, it's living and active. And as God 
speaks that into our lives, whether it's through us on Sunday morning, whether it's through each other. Uh, we need to get into the Word of God and begin to hear from Him. Because as we do, I think God speaks life. And I don't about you, but I need life. I need someone speaking life into my soul on a regular basis. Because a lot of the news out there, it, it's not good, right? I mean, political news, two people, two groups fighting, whether it's just, just words that go out and these little slogans that, that people latch onto, there's a political noise out there that doesn't bring life. It's a lot of racial tension. You know, we think that so many years after Martin Luther King and his assassination, we would have kind of advanced in life and recognized we're all created in the image of God. Certainly after an event like the Holocaust, you wouldn't think that genocide would continue, and yet genocide continues because we do not value each other as created in God's image. Rather, we kind of raise up values like ethnicity, education, socioeconomic status, what we own, and we start to value people based on what they know or what they do or the place they come from instead of from the fact that God has created us. And see, it's the Word of God that speaks that truth into our lives. And so as we jump into 1 Peter today, what we're looking at as we're going through the book of 1 Peter is the big picture is how do we deal with adversity in life? Because all of us have adversity. Are you, are you with me? And if you have relationships, listen, you've got adversity. Because <laughs> where does most adversity come from? It comes from relationships. You get married, you kind of get right into adversity. You know, husband and wife living together. How was that first year? You know, you thought you had it together. You thought you knew how to communicate. Maybe you went to the premarital class. Anyone do that? Yeah, you went to the premarital class, and so you came out, and you were set. You were ready to do this thing called marriage. And what happened is you got a little bit of adversity. And life is filled with adversity. So how do we go through adversity? What we discover in verses 3 through 12 is that God uses adversity to strengthen us, to refine us, to perfect us. Because what happens is when you go through adversity, you run to solutions. You with me on that? When you go through adversity, hard times, suffering, you start running to solutions, which gives you an opportunity to evaluate, hey, what am I running to? And is it going to bring life? And Peter's saying that we have a resource that we can run to. It's called a living hope. We have an inheritance that's kept in heaven for us, that we have been born again. It means the DNA of God is now inside of me. And it means that my heart is now alive to God. So when I put the stuff of God in front of a heart that's devoted to God, it produces the life of God. When I set the stuff of God before a heart that's made alive to God, it starts to change me and I start pursuing the stuff of God. And so Peter's telling us in verses basically 3 through 12 that God uses adversity to strengthen our faith. That as we go through suffering, your faith doesn't become less real. Listen, it becomes more real. And that's why he ends in verse 12, though you do not see him. I love this. You love him. I got to push this down. And though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When you go through adversity, what he's saying is the realization, the experience of the love of God becomes more tangible in my life. So that's verses 3 through 12. And then the question he begins to ask is, as you go through adversity, what kind of person do you need to be? Now, last week we picked up on the most unlikely characteristic 
of the kind of person we need to be as we go through adversity, that what he says we need is holiness. Right? And that kind of hits you right now like it hit me. It's like, really? Holiness? What I need to go through adversity is holiness. Well, why holiness? Well, to be holy doesn't mean to be perfect. Let me kind of clarify. I think often when we think of holiness, we think, i got to get it together. You know, that's how people are going to be changed and influences that I've got my life together. No, holiness means devotion. I'm a big fan of the Red Sox and also the Patriots. It's okay. Listen, grace. We've been saved through grace. Okay? Bergen Park Church. Now, I come at it naturally. I was born in Massachusetts, raised in Massachusetts, lived there, so I come by it naturally. <laughs> but what you'll find about, if you've seen Tom versus Time, and I'm sure you have. No. If you haven't seen Tom versus Time, okay. Well, what you'll find is a great athlete, the reason they are a great athlete is they are holy. What do I mean? They're devoted. Great athletes are great athletes. Maybe they have natural ability, but what they do is they take that natural ability and they work on it. They devote their time. They devote what they eat. They devote their family. Everything is devoted towards becoming a better athlete. That's holiness. So what does that mean in the Christian context? It means that because of what Jesus has done, we are wholly devoted to God. That's your identity. The question is, does your identity match up with how you spend your time? That's the only thing that's missing there. Are we really taking our finances and saying, God, this is wholly devoted to you? Would you teach me what that looks like? Am I taking my marriage and saying, God, my marriage is now wholly devoted to my relationships, my thought life, my politics. Lord, would I do politics in a way that doesn't just fit a political party, but it fits Jesus? So are we devoted to God? We need holiness. Now today, what we're going to do is we get the end of chapter 1 into chapter 2 is we're going to ask this Question, um, if we need holiness, what's the other characteristic? What's another quality that we need to live well through adversity? And this is the one we all resonate with because it's love. That what we need to be, to go through adversity and to be strengthened is one, we need holiness, but second, what he's going to say we need is love, and not just love in general, but a community of people that love one another. That the Christian life is not lived in isolation. I know we want to do that. But see, your problem in life is you're addicted. That's what sin is. Are you with me? The problem in life is we're addicted. We're addicted because of what we believe. We think we need something, and sin is an addiction. I'll tell you, there is no way to overcome an addiction by yourself. That's why they have AA. When you know people who are addicted, they go into community with others to seek the right path together. In the church, what do we do? We want to take our addiction to the world and turn it into an addiction to God. We want to take the desires of the heart that are being cultivated by a world that says this is what you need and then take the desires of the heart and communion with one another and say, hey, let's set our hearts on the things that God wants for us. We have to be in community. The kind of community we need is the one that he's describing here, is a community that loves one another. So what is community? We're going to jump into this text in just a minute, but I want to share a quote to you, a paragraph actually, is written by a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You may know the story of Bonhoeffer, German theologian during the Nazi uh, period of time in World War II. He opposed Hitler 
And because of that, he was martyred. And he says this about community. And you'll actually see this if, if you've got that handout with you, if you picked it up, sermon notes that are out there, you'll see this quote on there. This is how he talks about Christian community. He says, those who dream of an idealized community, meaning a utopian type community, demand that it be filled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up their own law, and judge one another, even God accordingly. What's he saying? We can come into community with serious expectations. Now, it's not wrong to have boundaries, but sometimes you can come into a church and have such high expectations that you're not coming in to love, you're coming in to get. And because you're coming in to get, there's no potential for love, right? Because your focus is on yourself. And even if those expectations are good things, like being loved, when you come in just with expectations or to recreate another experience, you're not coming into community. What you're doing is destroying community. And so he goes on to say, we can never live by our own words and deeds, but only by the one word and deed that really binds us together. And what binds us together? The forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ by which we may participate the more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and the strength and the promise of all community is in Jesus Christ alone, the more calmly we learn to think about community and pray and hope for it. What's he saying? Community is not something we create. It's something God has created for us because of what Jesus has done. It's not something we have to create. It's something we share because we share Jesus in common. You with me? You cannot create community. Not this kind of community. You know, you can create clubs. You can have that kind of membership where you're connected around a certain idea or a certain activity. But the kind of community the Bible calls us to is otherworldly. It's not intuitive. It's not what you're going to find in your local Kiwana club or Kiwanis, whatever it's called, Rotary Club. Because it comes from the character of God. And he says this kind of community can only happen if Jesus Christ is the center of the church. And see, that's what Peter's getting at. So what Peter's going to do in this passage, he's going to talk again like he did in verse 3. If you look down in chapter 1, verse 3, he talks about the fact that we have been born again. And he says we've been born again into an inheritance, into a living hope, into an inheritance. And because of that, you're going to see these words throughout 1 Peter, you are exiles and strangers in the world. What that means is because you have a new hope, you're living on the margins of society. Because you're Lord, you've set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, and therefore you're following His laws. It's not just the commands or the Constitution. What you're following primarily is your Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, in this community called Evergreen, we've got to look differently. We should, because we have a different Lord. You with me on that? I mean, if people have a Lord, that Lord dictates, hey, this is how you live life. And all of us find different lords that we follow, whether it's success or money or sex or promotions or all that kind of good stuff. We set that in our heart as a lord and it dictates our behavior. Well, when we set Jesus, Jesus Christ aside as our lord, 
it's got to show up in the way that we live. And so we've been born again into a new Lord, but you've also noticed this, verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from the heart. Now why? Because you have been born again. What's he talking about? He uses that term born again. This time we're not born again into an inheritance. Listen, we're born into a new family. Which means this family has a different, a different reason for belonging. That we don't belong just because we hold things in common. That's what I love about the church. You can have relationships with people in this room you would never connect with outside of this room. Let's just be honest. Come on. Come on, come on people. You would never connect with outside. There's some people you connect with, but we're different, right? Different temperaments, different passions, different political directions, different ideas. Why do we congregate together? Because all of us have experienced the love of God through Jesus Christ the Son. It's Jesus that creates community. And so we've been born again into a new kind of family, which means a new way of doing relationships. The church essentially is a body of people with Jesus as Lord doing relationships as God would do them. And that's something all of us have got to own. And he says the way we do that is by loving one another earnestly, he calls it brotherly love, a sincere brotherly love, earnestly and from a pure heart. Now here's the challenge with community and why he says earnestly, why he says brotherly, why he has all these adjectives to add to love is because all of us are porcupines. You, you know what I'm saying? We're all porcupines. You get close to us and you're going to get stuck. We all have edges. You know, we try to hide them because we're professionals. We know how to do it. But the reality is, if you're really in community with each other long enough, it's going to show up. The rough edges show up. The question is, how are you going to respond then? You know, we all want that church that's perfect. And honestly, that's why a lot of people go to church and they want anonymity. Don't know me. A lot of churches are structured that way. They know that's what you want, but it's not what God wants for you. I'm telling you, it's not what he wants because we can't see the rough stuff in your life. And we can't get into that kind of connection where that stuff comes out unless we're in community with each other. And I'll tell you as a pastor, unless I get in that community relationship, I can't love you. I'm not loving you until I know you. Until I know the struggles that you have. Until I know the frustrations and the anger and the past. that I can't really truly love you until I start to see the porcupine come out. Because it's only then that I now have to exercise grace. Right? You with me on that? I mean, because if, if we're just kind of doing the nice thing, the, the cordial thing, the polite thing, how are we really loving each other? But no, when God gathers together a community of people who are very diverse, very different, very different backgrounds, that's where love shows up. Because see, then Evergreen, the community looks in here and says, I, I know that God, I know that God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, because look at the way this people love one another. You do not find that anywhere else. So Peter is setting up this picture of community, of love. Because when you're hurt, how do you respond to people? Now, you can go get them and hate them. That's one alternative. But I think a lot of us, were not that direct, so we 
don't go get them and hate them. Or you can go get them and love them. Well, what Peter's going to show us is how can we do that? How can we do that? And what he's going to say is we've got to take the gospel, meaning the story of Jesus, and allow that to saturate our hearts, our minds, and our actions. So notice the way he describes the love that we are to experience together. He says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Now, what's obedience to the truth? It means to the truth of the gospel. Because if you read the whole uh, context of chapter 1, that's what he's talking about. The truth isn't just the Bible as itself. It doesn't mean that we're purified because we obey. We're purified because we obey the gospel, and the obedience of the gospel is faith. It's the only thing you can do. It's good news. And the purpose of that good news is to receive it into my life, to believe it, to trust it, and then to live my life on the basis of that good news. And so he's saying because you have trusted the good news of the gospel, you are now purified. Now that's your identity. It's not what you do. That's so important, people. Listen, in God's sight, you are pure. Why? Because you're holy. And what does it mean to be holy? It means holy, devoted to God. My life is devoted to Him, therefore the Father sees me, not according to my sin, but according to Jesus' righteousness. The Father sees me as if, ready? I have done everything that Jesus had done. That's good news. Because listen, I didn't do everything Jesus did. I did a lot of stuff Jesus didn't do and told me not to do. But the Father doesn't condemn me. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the Father sees you as pure. Meaning the basis of your relationship is through faith in what Christ has done. You're a child of God. It's a legal reality. You're adopted into the family of God. That is who you are. You're pure in His sight. And therefore, because of that, because of how the Father sees us, we can love one another with a sincere... Did you notice that? He kind of qualifies it because it's not just the way Jason wants to love you. And it's not the way you want to love me because we all have a, kind of a defined way to love. we got our limits, right? You know, I'm, I'm going to love, but I'm not going to love love. I mean, I'm going to love you, but don't ask me to love you. Meaning, I want to love you in a way that keeps, my, uh, keeps control of my love. And I'll give you just enough love, and if you give me a little love, I'll give you a little love back, right? That's kind of the way we do it. It's transactional. Well, he says a sincere love, an earnest love, a pure love. Sincere means without fault. It means truthful. Do we in our love speak truth? Now, some of you may have been in a church and that's all they did. And that's why you just came back. Because all they did was speak truth. Well, the truth is not truth unless it's truth all the way down. And so a sincere love is a truth-speaking love. But an earnest love is just as it sounds. It's a love that doesn't give up. It's a love that when you don't respond to my love, I keep loving because my relationship to you is not contractual. It's covenantal. You may not know the difference of those terms, but your relationship to your cell phone company, contractual. Don't pay the bill, it turns off. Wouldn't it be great to be covenantal? Don't pay the bill, and they say, hey, I love you. Come on back, pay the bill. <laughs> your relationship with your spouse is supposed to be covenantal. You love her regardless of how she loves you. It's supposed to be covenantal. Relationship to your children is covenantal. We love them regardless of what they do. Now, our expression of love changes. 
But the love we have with the Father, the love God has for us, and the love I have for you has to be covenantal. I love you, and I become a certain person because I love God, not because I just love you. This is who I am because God loves me. And I want you to experience that love. So regardless if you reciprocate, regardless if I get the thank you note, regardless if you invite me over, I'm going to love you this way because God has loved me and He has changed my heart. That's the relationship He's describing. It is a deep love. So let me ask you, have you ever experienced a love that is always truthful and never gives up? Listen, always truthful, never gives up. What does it sound like? Grace and truth. Jesus came in grace and He came in truth. He always spoke the truth, but He never gave up. And every time He spoke the truth, listen, I love this, He did it in a way to give you what you most need. (laughs) That's not how we speak the truth. (laughs) I guess I'm the only one there on that. (laughs) He, He spoke the truth in a way to give you what you most need. How do we speak the truth? Make sure they know I am right. That's how we speak the truth. I want you to know I'm right. Because, see, I'm trying to get something from you, whether it's your respect or your love or your appreciation or just to make you feel small. Jesus never spoke to make someone feel small. He always spoke the truth to make God's love look big. That's good. You should write that down. (laughs) Are you with me? He did it to make the love and the truth and the grace of God look big. He spoke the truth not to destroy, but to rescue. See, the only place we have encountered that kind of love is in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you see now why Jesus has to be the center of the church? If we're going to love like this, I can't look to you. Listen, i got to open my life. i got to be sincere and honest before the Father. i got to take my sin to Him and experience the love of God because it's only as I experience His love that I can begin to love in the church, the way that God calls us to love. Earnest, sincere. Hey, that's a big mountain to climb. So here's the question. You ready? And I love this. There's also always a gospel-empowered reminder in every passage because what he's telling us is, hey, this is who we are. This is how we live, but this is what God has done. So notice, how can we live like this? He's going to do this twice. So verse 22, watch this. Love one another earnestly from the heart. Now, how? When you say since... Okay, how do I do this? Well, here's how. Here's the foundation. You've been born again since you've been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all, all flesh is like grass. And then compare that. Jump down, verse 25. All flesh is like grass, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. What's he contrasting? Your natural birth with your divine birth. We've all been born once. I think that's our testimony here. But in Christ, we've been born a second time. Now, what was it that gave us that new life? It was the enduring Word of God. Something that is not temporal. It doesn't pass away. Rather, it's the Word of God that's come in and it's breathed new life because it was grace and truth. Why did it breathe new life? Because when you encounter a love that is grace, it never gives up and it's truth, always seeking your best interests, it's going to give you life because you're never going to be loved. You've never been loved like that. And now you've got a testimony because you can go out into the community and say, I have never been loved like this. I've never been in a church where people didn't accept me just based on what I did. 
but they accepted me because I'm a brother in Christ, regardless of my background or a sister in Christ. That in this room, we have mothers and fathers. We have children and grandchildren. And each one of us, the beauty is, is at a different stage in spiritual growth. And don't look at the gray hair to know where you stand. Because when you come to Christ, we get reparented. That's why he's our father. We have to be reparented. The world's discipled you. Your family's discipled you, and some of that was good and some was bad. When we come into the family of God, we've got to be reparented, which means each one of us, some of us are newborn babes in Christ. We're just figuring it out. Now, we may have been in the church for 20 years, but we're just getting it. That's the grace of God right there. Some of us have been in church for a long time. We've gotten it for a long time, but you know what our failure is? We don't have any children. And I'm not talking biological. I'm saying, church, if you see yourself as mature, you need some spiritual children. You'd be looking around. You see a single mom, a single dad. You see a struggling couple. You invest into them because, see, that is the heart of what a parent does. They love their children. They sacrifice for them. And so that's what he's telling us, is that we've been born into a new family, and because of that, we have a new identity. We've been purified on the one hand. That's our identity. Having been purified by obedience to the truth, And then second, we have been born again. So the reason we love this way is because that is who we are. That Christianity is not a set of laws we take up. It's not the Ten Commandments. You can obey the Ten Commandments and not be a Christian. It's not the Sermon on the Mount. You can obey, listen, you can obey everything it says in the New Testament and not be a Christian. Because the New Testament isn't after your obedience. It's after your heart. Now, heart, cardia, in the Greek means your whole self. Because, see, they didn't know the mind runs everything. Back then, they thought it was the heart. The heart was the center of the person. Today, we may say it's the brain. You know, God was after your brain. And brain doesn't just mean mind. Rather, in the New Testament, mind and heart are used interchangeably. It means the whole person. God was after your affections, your thought process, your will, your desire. God wanted to rescue the whole person. How did he do that? By putting his life in you. That's called being born again. It means that the heart of man is now alive to God. And because of what he's done, listen, I now have the ability to obey. The ability to obey is not a human ability. It's a divine ability. Conviction is a divine thing. When you are convicted in a church service like this or you're reading scripture, don't walk away from that. Listen, let me warn you. That is not something to take lightly. Like you can create it next week. You can walk away from that and your heart starts to die. Because see, God in his grace is convicting you. Say, hey, listen, I know you think comfort is there and passion and love. It's not there. It's going to kill you. The more you ignore the Holy Spirit, your heart starts to die. And as Hebrews says, we become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We become hardened. But what takes us out of that, as Hebrews says, is do not give up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today. We need community. Because we have been born again, and we have been purified. That is our identity. So how do we do this? We do it by holding on to the very thing that gave us life. Notice he's going to say this twice. Basically, verses 22 through 25 and verses 1 through 3 are saying the same thing with different words. 
In verses 22 and 23, he says, love one another. Well, how? By the living, enduring word of God. And then you get to chapter 2, verse 1, and what does he say? He says, love one another. Now he uses negative terms. By ridding yourself, there it is, of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. If you do that, you would be loving one another. Now, how do we do that? Again, just as he said in the verses 22 through 25, you do it by craving the pure spiritual milk of the Word. It's the Word of God, the Gospel, that gave us life in Christ. And listen, as a church, we have to be in the Word of God to love as God wants us to love. There is, there's, there's no other solution. It's the Word of God that gives life, but listen, it's the Word of God that, that God uses to, to breathe life into us in community with one another because He shows us who we are. You know, James says, we went through the book of James, and he says, when you look into the Word, it's like a mirror. And how about you? But I look into a mirror to see me. You don't see anybody else in the mirror, do you? I know we hear the Word sometimes, and we're in a good message, and we're like, my wife needs to hear this. <laughs> Woo, sweetheart, you got to get on that podcast and listen. The Lord needs to convict you. They were talking about spending money. Or, or the other side. Why? Well, sometimes we, we think of others, but see, we come to the Word to, to see ourselves. You know how you see yourself? By seeing God. When you see God clearly, you see yourself clearly. Because I'm not comparing myself no longer with you. When I'm comparing myself with you, sometimes I look great. <laughs> but there's somebody, sometimes I look horrible. Because some of you got great hospitality, great patience, great forgiveness. With you, I look bad, right? But I love to memorize the Word. I love to study the Word. I've got certain gifts in certain areas. you got gifts in other areas. We're comparing ourselves with each other. We're going to create a Christianity that looks like Jason. And you don't want that, right, right, hon? Because <laughs> she knows I am a sinful human being. What do we want? We want to be conformed, church, into the image of Jesus Christ. How? How? Verse 25, this is the word that was preached to you. How? Verse 2, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. See, how do we learn to love one another? Because we, we have to identify what we crave. That's what he's saying in verse 2. We have to identify what it is that we crave. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Notice what happens when you long for that pure spiritual milk. By it you may grow up into salvation. Indeed, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Though we have been born again into new life, that's not enough. The thing that brings life, the gospel, the word of God, continues to bring life. The way we grow is from faith to faith. It's not from faith to trying harder. That's good news. Trying harder can make you more a wretched sinner than anything else. I know that sounds odd, doesn't it? Trying to obey God more. I'll tell you why. Because you will have a righteousness of your own. You know what that means? It means you now have the right to condemn someone else. Because if you're righteous based on your obedience, all I got to do is, hey, I did it right. If you were just more like me, you would be right. But what is he getting at? That's not how we grow, is it? What produces obedience? It's your desires. 
Now, your desires can include your mind. It's your thought process. And so what is he getting at? What do you, church, what do we crave? You know, when you come into the church, you've got to start craving. You've got to get off the value menu. You know what I mean? No? In the world, we're going to the low-hanging fruit. I mean, everything today is about what I feel. Well, how do you feel about that? Well, I'll tell you, for me personally, there's days I feel like being really healthy. And then about, I don't know, nine in the evening, I feel like eating a gallon ice cream. <laughs> now you tell me, which one is me? Is it the 5 o'clock a.m., Jason, which really happens, <laughs> who's going and working out? Is that me, or is it the I desire a gallon? I, I don't know. It's not, it's not by how we feel. We have to take our desires and start craving what's going to produce growth, and what produces growth is the Word of God. You've got to, church, we have to get into the Word of God. Every Sunday, we've got to bring it. Because you know when he's talking, and First Peter, the people he's talking to, you know the only place they would have heard the Word of God? is right here. They didn't have Bibles. Bibles, is a, that's a new concept. Tyndale, 16th, 15th, 16th century, wanted to translate the Bible from Latin into English. You know, you would think everybody would be excited, right? Pope would be like, go for it. You know what happened to William Tyndale? He was martyred, strangled, beaten, burned. Why? Because he had a craving for the Word of God, and he wanted to see the Word of God in the hands of every single believer. There's a woman named uh, Mary Jones. I read this this week. 18th century. She came to faith at the age of eight. The one thing she wanted was a Bible. The only Bible in her community was like two miles away. So she would walk two miles to this barn house to read the Bible. So for eight years, because it was expensive, she saved up to buy a Bible. After eight years, she walks 25 miles to buy this Bible from a guy named Thomas Charles, I think his name is, 25 miles. And Thomas Charles was so impressed with her devotion that he started the British Bible Society so that Bibles could be distributed to all of those that desired them. William Tyndale died so we could have the Scripture. Mary, Mary Jones walked 25 miles. Can we spend 15 minutes? I know I set you up. I'm sorry. Can we, spend, can we not spend just 15 minutes? You know, I think one of the reasons we don't value it is we've got too much of it. And when you have something so easy, you don't value it often. You with me on that? And, and so there's apps you can listen to. We have to get into it. And, and not just get into it in terms of my personal relationships, but, but here's the thing. We have to learn, and this is the hardest thing in the church, and it's why churches don't do this, is we have to learn to speak the truth in love. My job is not to be a great communicator. My job is to be a great equipper. That's my job. Because in Ephesians it says that God gave some to be pastors and teachers and prophets to equip the body of Christ. Bergen Park Church, I'll tell you where we are headed as a church. On a simple vision, our simple vision is that we would learn to speak the Word of God to each other with grace and truth. I'll tell you, that'll take more than a year. <laughs> it'll take a lifetime what we need to do is not just learn to hear well we need to learn to speak the truth of God 
with grace and truth. You know how you're going to do that on the one hand? You've got to have that daily intake. Because, see, the Word of God is like a good diet. It's not one, one meal that fixes you. I've been to a lot of sermons. I've probably communicated a lot of sermons. But I don't remember a lot of sermons. Except for Haddon Robinson. If you ever knew Haddon Robinson? The guy could preach. I could remember his sermons because he's good. But I know, that I've, I know that I've received that message. I know I've eaten. And just as you eat good food, it's not the one meal that then changes your life, though there have been some sweet meals I've had. It's the diet, isn't it? It's the diet. We have to learn, church, together to encourage each other to get into that and in community, which means it's as simple as two guys getting together and just reading the Word of God together, two women getting together. We don't have to set this up as a structure at Bergen Park, though we have growth groups, though we have a Sunday school class, and there's Bible study fellowship which are going through the book of Romans. You can gather on Monday night for the men. You can gather on Friday morning for the women. But we have to learn simply to read the word and to communicate the word together. You know why? Because the love you're looking for, you'll get it if we'll get in his word. Because twice he says, you've been born again through the living, enduring word of God. And then he says, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. How? By checking your desires. Crave pure spiritual milk. Now, I see a few babies in here, and I imagine those babies, when they want milk, they want milk. They're not waiting. No patience. It doesn't matter what time it is. They long for the pure spiritual milk. They long for that milk. Well, how can we create in our heart a desire to crave God's Word that way? I'll tell you, and it ends right here, I promise. Verse 3, you notice what he says? What is it that cultivates a passion for the Word of God? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The goodness of God is not a theological idea. It's what he wants you to experience every single day. When you taste, do you see that word taste? That's not intellectual, that's a desire. Taste and see the Lord is good. You know how I've tasted the goodness of the Lord? I'll tell you, for most of my life, I have lived for the approval of others. I'm a butt kisser. (laughs) Not anymore. Not as much. I'll tell you, the hardest thing in ministry, the hardest thing in ministry, hardest thing I've had to go through is to sit down with somebody and I know there's something i got to address and, and i got to open my mouth. Because here's my fear. You may not like me. That's just me. That's how God has designed me. Maybe because of the experiences I had as a child being rejected. You may not know this, but I struggled tremendously in school. Actually punched my teacher, can I confess, in the fifth grade. Kicked out of school. You wouldn't believe it. No, and I'll tell you why I punched my teacher. I didn't want to hit her. I was so angry because I struggled to read. I was placed in class. I was dyslexic. I was placed in classes with people with uh, mental difficulties. And you know how kids are. They, they love to, to hug each other, love each other. <laughs> and, you know, you get a heart like that. You get a young man, 
And my dad and my mom, they were great people, but you know they had their own challenges. My dad worked, opened his own business. He was gone most of the time. I had nobody to share that with. And so I started chasing after girls. I figured, hey, that's where I can find acceptance. That's where I can meet my needs. And so I was a user. I abused people. I didn't care. I just wanted what I wanted. You know how that's changed? I'll tell you, in, in part, it's by coming up here. Because I realize in myself, I have nothing to offer you. And yet when I get into the Word of God, I hear the Father saying to me, through the power of the Spirit as I study His Word, Jason, you're my son, and whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Now why? Because Jesus was willing to lay down His life for me. And so when I find myself in a place where I don't know what to do, the place I go back to is the gospel. And church, what we have to do is to go back to the gospel. What's the gospel? It's a simple story of what Jesus has done. That you were so sinful, you were so sinful, your salvation required the death of God. It's pretty simple. Which means inside this pastor is, is a seed of sin that's still there. It still wants to cultivate. And if it gets out, it will look like the worst things you see in the news. That's in me. Now, I may not actuate it, but I think it at times, and you're with me on that. The hatred you see in people killing others, that's in us. The lust we see in adultery, that's in us. The seed of sin is there. It just needs the right soil. And if I lived the right soil, that would come out. I am so sinful that God had to die for me. You know what that leads to? Humility. But here's the flip side. While we were yet sinners... Christ died. You're so loved. Has God's assessment of you actually penetrated your heart? I'm so sinful. Right now, I am so sinful that in my heart is, is all the wickedness I see in the world, and yet I am so loved and cherished that He was willing to sacrifice for me. What that does is it produces courage to chase after God and humility to love others. Because no longer can we take another human being and put them in a category that is below or above us. Now, because Jesus was willing to descend for us, to make us alive in Him, that leads to humility and a desire for others to experience the same love we have. Could we do that together? Church, in 2018, my passion is that we would be a people centered on the Word, that learns how to speak the Word in truth. And you know where it starts, and I'll tell you, I'm not great at it. It starts in the home. It's not a big program. It starts in the home. It starts with me, then it starts with our closest relationships. Let's desire the goodness of God so that others in this community would taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that um, you are slow to anger. Father, you are abounding in steadfast love. And you've told us, do not give up meeting together. Don't give up. It's easy, Lord. I confess even... Though I have to be here, sometimes I, you, know, you just want to escape. You don't want to go out. You don't want to open your heart. And yet, Lord, you tell us that we can be deceived and hardened. Our hearts can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And yet, if I'm deceived, I need somebody to tell me. And so, Lord, in this, in this place at Bergen Park, Father, would you place in us a seed of vision that we would be a community of people that so 
values your goodness. We've so tasted your goodness. We want to spread the goodness of God throughout this community, throughout this room, and throughout this world. Father, guide us in that. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we respond in worship.